0: Heavenly Father, as we turn now to your word, will you open our hearts and minds to receive. Lord, where it is that we need to be encouraged, I ask that you would use your spirit to encourage us. Where we need to be challenged and changed, Lord, bring your spirit's power upon that as well. That we might be changed more to be like Christ so that we can live kingdom first lives. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So we recently did the iOS 10 upgrade for Apple. If You have your iPhones and probably done that upgrade. And as soon as it came out, um, all of the issues with that new operating system also came out. And you could go online and, you know, what are the problems? And here's the 10 problems, here's the 15 problems, and it's just walking through things. And some of these problems were relatively significant. Things like connectivity to Wi-Fi. What's a smartphone if you can't get online? Or not being able to make calls or battery life. Um, my, we did the upgrade. My wife yesterday was getting into the car, and she, I, she's out front. I'm just telling her goodbye. She's getting ready to get in the car, and she goes, it's dead. It was at 25% when I walked outside to the car. Boom, phone's dead. There's a number of underlying issues going through this operating system that are not making it as pleasant as people might like. Um, Enough so that two weeks in, there was a way of actually going back to the old operating system, which Apple doesn't usually want you doing, but there was a loophole to go back into the old operating system. Because your operating system affects quite a bit more than just a single program or a single thing that the phone can do. Um, It affects all of it. It's what's underneath that is going through the whole thing. Sometimes I feel like my spiritual operating system has got a lot of bugs in it. I feel like it's not doing some of the things it's supposed to do. I mean, what I understand of Christianity is that I am supposed to be living a victorious life. An abundant life. Does that not sound scriptural? That's what we're supposed to be doing, that's what we're supposed to be having, right? And yet, I find in my own life, more often than I would like, I'm defeated. I feel more often than I would like that I am not joyful, I am not feeling victorious like I'm overcoming, I'm not having the patience that I think I'm supposed to have. Something seems to be wrong with my spiritual operating system. I got a bad upgrade, and I really want to get some fixes on this operating system. This morning, I want to point out from a text in 2 Samuel two hugely fundamental problems with our spiritual operating system. If you would, open your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7 is one of the most significant passages in the Old Testament. It is the key hinge point of 1 and 2 Samuel. This is the promise to King David. The promise that there will always be a king on the throne. It's an eternal kingdom. This is the promise that the Jews were holding on through all the exile. This is the promise they're still holding on to, even though we believe Jesus was the Messiah who was that king. It's such a hugely significant passage. And here's how it starts. Verse 1. Now, when King David lived in his house, and Yahweh had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, okay, things are good, it's peace, there's been success. Have you been there? Had those moments where you just could finally go, you know something bad is coming, but, okay, this is a good moment here. So where he's at? The king said to Nathan the prophet, see now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. David makes an observation. David is king. David has had victory over his enemies. Israel is looking good right now. David looks over at his palace, and he says, I have a palace. God's in a tent. That doesn't seem right. And so Nathan, he doesn't say anything, but Nathan knows what he wants. Keep going. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for Yahweh is with you. All right, you have a king and you have a prophet. All you're missing is the priest, and you have all of the hierarchy of Judaism. Here's the king, here's the prophet. The king notices something, says, I want to do something. The prophet says, go. Yahweh's with you and go and do it. Now, you might think, this is a good thing. I mean, if you're the king, and you look over, and you see, I've got a palace. Like, I have a kingdom here. And my God is living in a tent. And you might think, I I'm going to go build one for him. He deserves this. That sounds very positive, does it not? Wouldn't you think God deserves that, especially if you have this? And yet God's response tells us something about what's inside David. There's something wrong with David's operating system. Because what you might think are really good positive motives here, there's something underlying that makes God... Come after David. Hey, this response is not like a, no, I appreciate the gesture, David, but I'm good. Or, hey, that's a great idea, David. Go right ahead. Let me provide the cedar for you to go do it. No, he has a very different response to him. Verse 4. But that same night, the word of Yahweh came to Nathan. He goes to his prophets, because that is the way that Yahweh communicated with his people. Goes to his prophets. Go and tell my servant David, thus says Yahweh. And I'm imagining right here, if I'm Nathan, that I'm getting ready to hear, go do it. I'm getting ready to hear, I'm behind you. We're gonna build the most phenomenal temple ever for Yahweh. And it's not what he gets. He gets this. Would you build me A house to dwell in? Are you kidding me? Would you build me a house? And he keeps going. I've not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. It hasn't stopped me to this point. What is it you think your house is going to accomplish, David? Why do you think I need this? Why do you think it's going to do something for me? What do you think I'm lacking, David? Why do you think you have the right to assume that I need a house right now? Get in your place is where he's going with this. Keep going. Assuming I can find my place again. Verse 7. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel... Did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Have I ever asked this? We've been going through centuries. I've had all these rulers. Did I ever ask any of them to do this? Why do you think, David, that you need to step up and do this right now? Actually, I'm going to stop there for a minute. David looks at his palace. David sees greatness. David sees power and security. David sees what you would see if you saw a castle. This shows power. And then he looks over at the tent. And he goes, hmm, God doesn't have everything I have. I should step up. And give it to him. I should be the one. Have you ever felt like if you don't step up and do it, nobody's going to? You ever had that before? Here's David. I got to do this. I, I'm the king. I should be the one to build something for God. Have you ever felt like, and we make it less shaking of the heads at this point, but be honest. Have you ever felt like if I don't do this for the Lord, it won't get done? Here's David. Underlying this is this one thing in David's operating system. And you're going to get it in Yahweh's response. We'll get to that in just a second. David has too high of a view of his own greatness. David has too high of a view of what he should be doing, of what he can accomplish. Even, as you're going to see in Yahweh's response, David is seeming. Now, remember, this is a man after God's own heart. Remember that? This is why he was chosen. In Acts, in Stephen's speech, he will call him a man after God's own heart. But his heart has something wrong with it right now, because David is beginning to believe that David is responsible for much of what has happened here. And now he's gonna take all of his might and his power and he's gonna do something for Yahweh. Now I want to explain the best I can what is wrong with the view. Because it's not just what he wants to do. It's not just that he wants to build this thing. It's what's underlying that and how it has ramifications. I have a 10 year old daughter. She's not in here, is she? Okay. I have a 10-year-old daughter. She is, as I have said before, amazing. She is such a wonderful girl. Kind spirit, cares about other people, constantly wants to please her parents. I mean, she's the kid that like if you want a kid, this is it. This is you can't have her though. But she's such a wonderful child and up until she was 5 i was the primary caregiver i was such an awesome parent i mean looking at my daughter i feel like i should do parenting seminars you can all come and get kids like mine i'll just put her up there and like you can see what it's like and i'm going to show you how to be a parent i mean i have this down i can walk through those shopping centers and i watch those other kids out of control and i'm like look at my daughter you don't know how I did this? Just come see me. And then when she was five, I had a boy. And everything has changed. I'm a terrible parent. I'm awful. I have two boys now. They are rebellious and rambunctious and out of control and just do all of their own things, and you tell them "No," and they say, "I don't care," which I don't get, because I said no to my daughter. She's like, "I'm so sorry. I mean, she's ready to tell me she's sorry for, like, even thinking she should do that bad thing. And my boys are like, what? I'm going to do it again. You told me no? Okay, fine. I'll go over here and do it. (laughs) My three-year-old, you tell him no, he just walks to the next parent and says, can I do it? And we could be in the same room. They're so different. And so I'm having to change my parenting with my boys. And it's a little bit more stern um, at times. And I'm watching for things, and there is one thing that my boys do that I just instantly lose it. And sometimes maybe more than I should, but I lose it. I mean, they can knock things over and drag mud into the house. and I mean, there's all these things they can do that I kind of get upset about and I try and deal with. But there is one thing that if they do it, I go after them. They cannot disrespect their mom. That is the one thing. The moment they do it, I will grab those kids and go after them. They will not disrespect their mom. And it is not just because of their mom. It's because I will not raise boys that disrespect women period. That is something that is far too prevalent in our culture, and it goes to the dignity of women being image bearers of God. Somehow, our culture for far too many years has placed physicality as this high bar. Since we are stronger, you must be dumber, Those things have nothing to do with each other. Since we are stronger, we can do more than you can. That is crap. Forgive my language. My boys will not be that way. Because long term, it leads to so many other things that we are dealing with right now, today still. That is, is why God is going after David. Because his view of himself as being great, his view of himself as thinking he can give something to God, it leads to so many other things. It is one of the fundamental problems with the operating system that doesn't know peace and victory and freedom is when I think I am so much more than I actually am. Because then who do I rely on? Me. And what happens when something gets really hard? Where does all the pressure go? Me. And what happens when it fails? Where does all the guilt go? Me. I mean, do you see how bad this can be over time? When it's all on me, both the good and the bad is all on me. And God wants to wipe this away from David Right now, right here. You want to be a man after my own heart? You cannot have this as part of your operating system. You need an accurate view of yourself that you might have an accurate view of me. Look how he addresses David. Verse 8. Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, He has not rejected him, by the way. That's not our God. He wants to get on to him, but he wants to get on to him in the same way that I want to get on to my boys. Even when they treat their mom poorly, I have no intention of rejecting them. I get on to them because I love them, because I want to see them be better men. That's what God's doing here. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. You did not do that, David. Don't think too highly of your greatness. You were a shepherd watching sheep, the youngest child that nobody even thought is worthy of coming before Samuel in the first place to be thought of as a king. I did this, not you. Verse nine, and I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies before you. I did that, not you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. I will do that, David, not you. Verse 10, And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. And I want to stop here for a minute because that is a direct attack on David's role. Who is David? The king. And yet, God is saying basically to David, You are a figurehead. I will plant my people in the land, I will overcome the enemies. That's the role of a king. Last week, when we talked about them wanting a king like all the other nations, that's what they wanted. They wanted that charismatic leader that could stand up and lead them, that they could watch go into battle. And Yahweh is telling David, I am the one that will do that, David. You're basically a figurehead, a really good one, but you're a figurehead because I am in charge. I put you here. I'm going to run the kingdom. I'm still the king. Don't forget that, In the book of James, he says, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. I want you for a moment to think about your life. Every good and perfect thing in your life came from him. I don't care how talented you are, how good you are, how blessed you were with good looks or strength or brains or whatever it is. You have been gifted. Don't think too highly of yourself. And I will tell you, There are some really gifted people in this congregation. Doctors, lawyers, professors, teachers. We have very gifted, very smart people in this congregation. But once you start to think it's all because of you, that will carry over. You will start to think it's all because of you that I accomplished this. It's all gotta be because of what I do. It's all on my shoulders. And oh man, if I fail, this is gonna be so terrible. And all of the stress and the guilt that comes with that. And God is saying, I do that. I am the king. If you think too much about your own greatness, the second part of your operating system issue will be you will think too lowly about his greatness. Because you can't lift yourself up and lift him up. What you're doing is it's a scale. As you start lifting yourself up, he is, whether you like it or not, going down. And that's what's happening with David. And God says, let's correct that right now before it gets too far. David, no, I did this for you. Not only that, David, I have more to give you. But if you keep thinking about your own greatness and you keep trying to do it in your own power, you're never going to receive what I have. You won't be open to it. You will keep trying to accomplish everything in your own. And you'll keep stumbling and falling and never knowing the peace I have for you. Never knowing the strength I have for you. The most popular game, board game in America is Monopoly. Still, it's been that way for years. most popular board game invented in the 1930s, at least supposedly. And the guy who gets credit for inventing it, Charles Darrow, he is the first... Man to ever become a millionaire off of a board game in the 1930s. He comes up with this, sells it to Parker Brothers at the time who was on the verge of perhaps going out of business and this game will save that company, will turn him into a millionaire. Well, in the 1970s, there was a professor who came up with the game Anti-Monopoly and he wanted to sell it Well, Parker Brothers decided they would sue him for copyright infringement because this is their game and you can't do that. And it was a 10-year court battle that the professor won. And the reason that he won is because as he's researching where Monopoly comes from, he goes back to 1904, not the 1930s, where a woman named Elizabeth Maggie created a game called Landlord. And the game was the precursor of Monopoly. Same kinds of rules. First game, board game, to ever not have an ending point where it just kept going instead of going from one point to another had all of the same ideas as Monopoly. In fact, her game was the one that through a series of people being taught ended up at Darrow's wife was taught it and then she taught it to him and then he went, oh, we can make this game into something. Now, he added some things to it But there was so much of a crossover that Parker Brothers had no case because they stole the game in the first place. How do you argue for copyright of something you stole? And the professor won the case. Here's the interesting thing. The game, when she invented it, its purpose was exactly the opposite of what Monopoly is all about. Monopoly is... I want to crush everyone around me, right? I mean, I want to get all of the houses, I want to get all the hotels, I want to get all the spaces, and I want to crush all of you and take all your money. That's the point of Monopoly, is it not? That's why certain people are no longer friends when they play Monopoly together. When you go after each other, that's Monopoly. Do you know what the point of her game was? It was to teach the devastating effects of what was happening to people who were poor when others owned all of the property and we're renting it to them at astronomical rates, and this whole economic policy that was destroying the poor. That was the point of her game. Isn't it interesting that when the author is lost, the whole game can take on a completely different purpose. The whole game can go a totally different direction than what was intended. If we lose... The author of life, the author of faith, the author of our creation, the person who has put in place the plan, I guarantee you we are going to get off and we are going to find ourselves somewhere over here struggling, struggling with our guilt, struggling with that lack of peace, struggling with all the, struggling with even making headway in our faith. Because we're not following what the author first designed. David in this moment is basically stealing God's plan and then trying to do his own thing with it. You did this, now I'm going to go do my own thing with it. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with building a temple, which we'll see in a minute. What was wrong is why David wanted to do it. His greatness. Here's the, go back into the text here. Verse 11, from that time I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, declares the Lord um, that Yahweh will make you a house. Isn't that interesting? You want to make me a house? No, I'm going to make you a house, David. Let's get this right again. What's my role? What's your role? I will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up for your offspring after you. you shall, that shall come from your body Your throne shall be established forever. How much security, how much peace could be in David's life if he would believe that? How much could he let go? How much freedom could David have if he actually held on, not to his plan and his greatness, but to God's plan and God's greatness? How much could David just go, You know what, things look really bad right now, but God has said he's gonna establish his throne. I'm gonna trust God's greatness. I'm gonna trust God's plan. Instead of going, oh, life is over, I can't do anything about this. You're probably right, you can't. So instead of getting lost in what you can't do, why don't you believe in what he can do? That is the operating system that underlies a kingdom first life and everything that God has called us to. Not my greatness, his. Not my power, his. Not what I feel like I have to accomplish, but what he is able to accomplish. And that's what he gives to David. My daughter and I went wakeboarding this summer. Um, There's a a place in Little Elm called Hydrus. Maybe you've seen it if you've been on Dorado right there. and um, We went uh, wakeboarding. And I grew up uh, very athletic, doing all kinds of sports, uh, snow skiing. I was around the water a lot. We had a boat I and mean, all these things. And so when we got there, we had to take a lesson like I needed a lesson. I mean, how hard can it be, right? I mean, I'm watching little kids do this. Like, this can't be that difficult. And so I get my wakeboard, and I start heading over to the pool. And the guy goes, no, 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 over there. So there's this beautiful, great big pool right here that you go in a circle, and there's ramps, and I'm picturing myself jumping off these ramps and everything, and, and then there's a little kiddie pool over here. It has one line that just pulls you straight, and then you have to wait for it to come back to you. He's like, right over there. I'm going, fine, I'll humor you, I guess. And so I go over there and I put the wakeboard on. Now, my first clue should have been I've never actually put a wakeboard on. And I put this thing on and I stick both feet in there and I start hopping. And the guy goes, What are you doing? I'm getting to the water. Why did you start way back there to do it? And why don't you take a foot out and just walk over there and then sit down and put it on? I got this. So I get over there and you grab a hold of this thing and it's on a rail. And you grab it and you lay down and he's telling me how to put my arms and how to put my leg and he's telling me all this stuff. And I'm going, This is not that hard. <laughs> like I could do this. <sighs> Whatever. So it starts taking off. I didn't even get like, I don't know, a third out of the water. The thing's moving at like a snail's pace. And boom, I fall. No big deal. I just got a little off balance. I can do this. So I do it again. This time I get up a little bit more, boom, I'm in the water. And he's like, your legs aren't straight, your arms aren't straight, you're pulling on the thing, and I'm going, I hear like that Charlie Brown thing, wah, wah, wah. (laughs) I know what I'm doing, dude. So I try it again. Get up, boom, into the ground. I'm like, all right, fine, I will listen. And so I'm listening to this guy, and I'm like, wow, I was not holding my legs right, I was not holding my arms right, I was not holding my body right, I wasn't coming out of the water right, I wasn't doing anything right at all. First time I did it right, came right up out of the water, went eh, maybe five feet before I decided I knew better and pulled my arm and boom, hit the ground or the, the water. But like I got it and it felt amazing. I mean like you are being pulled by this thing and like you are, it's like you're on top of the world and you're just moving. It's so amazing to actually do it. So get it down, he teaches my daughter. We go over to the big pool. I am excited about the big pool. And once again, I'm thinking, I'm gonna jump off these ramps and I'm gonna do flips and things. I mean, it's gonna be amazing. Um, I, I couldn't even get up. Like, you're on this thing, it pulls you, you take off, I hit the water. I hit the water. I hit the water. I hit the water. I finally went, I was tired. I mean, I'm just, you have to swim back every time. I'm worn out, I'm out of shape, and I'm like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I'm just, I'm beat up, I'm done. And I had a great coach, and he stopped me and goes, look, you can do this if you will do it the way I'm telling you to do it. Just follow my lead, and you can do this. And I did it. And again, this amazing feeling. But here's the thing. You have to release and actually let the 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 the, the I this lost my words. The the rail thing, the, the, the cord, the cable, whatever. You have to let it pull you. You start pulling on it and you fall. You have to lean and let it pull you, and you're on top of the water, and it just you're going right along but if you don't do it the way you're supposed to do it, it's really hard. And you fall, and you get worn out, and it's tiring. And honestly, even when I'm up there and I'm, I'm kind of doing this, if I'm not, I get, my arms get worn out, but when I'm just doing what he's telling me to do, it's amazing how beautiful it is. You can live the Christian life in your own strength, with your own ideas, doing it your own way. And I guarantee you you will continue to fall it will hurt you'll get tired out you won't know peace you won't know the things that god wants for your life or you can look around at your life and go god you gave this to me you are the one that is taking care of me even when things are hard and that is what i'm going to lean into your greatness i'm going to look to your promises I'm going to recognize that you're my king. And instead of trusting in me, I'm going to trust in you. When that happens, your entire operating system can change. And so can your spiritual life. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your promises. Those that were given to David, those that have been given to us. Your son said he will be with us until the end. Lord, your love is steadfast. It never gives up on us. And we go through hard, difficult things. But Lord, you're with us. Father, please help us to stop looking so much to our own greatness and to look to yours. To trust who you are, to trust your character, to trust your love and your power to live out this life. Lord, to look at every situation through that lens first, not through how we can fix it or how bad it is, but through that lens first. We ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.